Right now, this morning we're going to talk on on crossing the Red Sea, crossing the Red Sea, and on the journey that the children of Israel made on their way all the way from Egypt to Mount Zion. Um, it took basically it started with Moses and then Joshua, and then by the time David got to Mount Zion. 443 years had gone by, which is a long, long time on that journey. Uh, Praise the Lord, our spiritual journey can be much faster, much faster than that. Um, But one of the places, one of the places they came to, or the place where they came to uh, very soon after coming out of Egypt was to the Red Sea. And crossing over the Red Sea, that is one one of the pictures one of the types uh, of water baptism in the, old, in the Old Testament. And, you know, it was God. It was God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And he pursued the children of Israel with, a, with his army. I mean, first of all, after those ten plagues had come and after they'd killed the Passover lamb, and remember they killed the Passover, they shed its blood, each, each house that had the blood on the doorpost, on the lintels, they were protected. But every other, every other house, in fact, every house of the Egyptians on that Passover night, then the firstborn, the firstborn uh, of every family in Egypt was slain. And, you know, after that happened, Pharaoh and the Egyptians were, cl- were keen for the Israelites to, to move out of town, to, 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 to leave as fast as possible. And so they left. But then after they'd gone, then, you know, Pharaoh kind of realized that, you know, all his, his slaves that he had and to do all the work and building this and building that, that, that they, they were no longer there. And, you know, his heart was hardened. God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And so he began to pursue after them. And they'd gone in the direction of the, the, the Red Sea. And so... Pharaoh, who's a type of Satan, a type of the enemy, he pursued the children of Israel with his army. And in Exodus chapter 14, in Exodus 14, we have there the account when the children of Israel, when they came to the Red Sea and when they passed over the Red Sea. And so in chapter 14 and verse 10, it tells us there, and when Pharaoh drew near, The children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, and they were sore afraid, and the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord. And they said to Moses, because there were no graves in Egypt, thou hast taken us away to die in the wilderness. I mean, they'd just seen, you know, incredible miracles, and they'd seen all those plagues in Egypt. And here they were, hardly started their journey. And here they are murmuring. Here they are complaining and complaining to Moses and saying, there's no graves in Egypt. Hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? I mean, totally filled with hard hearts, unbelief. And, you know, they'd hardly started their journey. And they're complaining. You know, you feel sorry for Moses. And it says, wherefore hast thou dealt thus with us, to carry us forth out of Egypt. Uh, And verse 12, is not this the word that we tell, we did tell you in Egypt, saying, let us alone, 
that we may serve the Egyptians, for it, had, for it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than we should serve, we should then we should die in the wilderness. So their hearts, you know, were full of murmuring, full of complaining. And you know, when the when the children of Israel, when they found out that Pharaoh and his army were pursuing them. I mean, their hearts were filled with fear. They're filled with fear. And, in their, fe- and in, their, in their fear, they rashly decided to go back to Egypt. And we need to be on, on the guard against fear. I mean, God does not want any of us to fear. God has not given us a spirit of fear, the Bible says. And Paul has to remind Timothy. And he was a, he was a pastor. Paul has to remind him, God's not given you the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And all of us, God does not want us to be in fear. I mean, all kinds of things are happening. Terrible things are happening in the nations of the earth. And, uh, you know, it's so easy, in the, you know, just to get gripped with fear. And you just spiral, spiral downhill. But by the grace of God, as we, you know, as we go on for the Lord, as we look to the Lord, as we fill our hearts and our minds with the word of God, God does not want us to fear. He has not given to us a spirit of fear. And in their fear, they, they, they rashly decided to go back to Egypt. Uh, and, I mean, what a, what a terrible decision. They, after everything that had happened, then they talk about going back. And so I think we can learn from that. One thing we can learn from that, that in times of difficulty, times of despondency, when everything is, is going, seemingly going wrong, you know, don't, don't make major decisions at that time. Don't make important decisions in times of you know, difficulty when, when things are all going wrong. But look to the Lord, trust the Lord. And you know, Moses has to, in, has to encourage them in verse 14 and in verse 13. Moses tells them, fear ye not, verse 13. Stand still. Number one, fear not. Number two, they were to stand still. And then the result, to see the salvation of God, which he will show you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you shall see them again no more forever. I mean, what a powerful prophetic word that Moses had. The Egyptians whom you've seen today, and, and Moses prophesied before it comes to pass, and a powerful prophecy, you shall see them again no more, no more, no more forever. For the Lord shall fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. I mean, what a, what a, what a wonderful word, what a, what a wonderful promise. What a wonderful promise. You shall see them no more. So God told them through Moses not to fear and that they would see the salvation of the Lord. And when they were fleeing, you know, towards the the Red Sea, I mean, it was not an easy situation for the children of Israel because there were mountains on, on one side, there were other mountains on the other side, there was the Dead Sea in front of them, and then behind them, the Egyptians were following, which were going to either kill them or, or take them back 
you know, as slaves to Egypt. So, you know, there they were. Impos basically an impossible situation. An impossible situation. And verse 15. Verse 15. And the Lord said to Moses, Wherefore criest thou unto me? Speak unto the children of Israel that they go forward. That they go forward. That they go forward. And I, I feel that's... I feel that there's some here this morning. I feel that's a word of the Lord for that you're in your situation and for you just to, to press on, to go forward, to go forward, to keep going. And, you know, here, and in fact, in that verse, notice in that verse, it was not a time to pray. Now, we must pray, and prayer is very important, vitally important. I mean, we. That's how revival is birthed. That's how a work of God and ministry is birthed, through prayer. But there's times, there's times when we are, we're, to, we're to move. There's time when we're to be still and stop, but there's a time when, when, when we are to go forward. Just like the children of Israel, when that, cloud, when that cloud was moving above them, they had to move. They had to follow the cloud. They had to go forward following that cloud. But when the cloud stopped... There was a time they were, to they, were to, they were not to move, they were not to travel, they were not to go forward, they were to just take rest in their tents beneath that cloud. And so in verse 15, this was a time when they'd come out as they were going to the Red Sea. It was a time to go forward. And so it wasn't a time to pray. And, and that's why in verse 15 it says, And the Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry unto me? Why are you crying unto me? Why are you... You, you, you're praying and crying unto me. Get up. Get moving. Go forward. Go forward. Go forward. Speak unto the children of Israel that they go forward. And then in verse 16, But lift thou up thy rod and stretch out thy hand over the sea. So God tells, tells Moses, get your rod. Had his rod in his hand. He used that, that rod during those trials in Egypt. And he said, lift up thy rod, stretch it out thine hand over the sea. So there were mountains on either, either side, the Egyptians were behind them, and they'd come, they'd come to the sea, to the Red Sea. And it was very deep. And where to go, what to do? But God is never late. God is there. God, God turned up. And Moses had the word of the Lord. And you know, God said, lift up your rod, stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea, through the midst of the sea. And, uh, you know, an impossible situation, an impossible situation, but God gave them an incredible victory. So it's very clear the Lord told Moses, you're not to cry to him at that time, but to speak to the children of Israel. You know, don't fear, don't be afraid, keep going forward. And when you're looking for direction, you know, and God, sometimes God is silent, but, you know, at times we're to, we're to keep on the course that we are presently pursuing. And that, that the miracle did not happen by Moses 
It did not happen until Moses had, got, had done what God said. He had to stretch out his rod over the Red Sea, but also he, God had said, go forward. In other words, he had to keep stepping out. And it was only as he went forward and he stepped out into the sea, into the Red Sea, it's only then that that awesome miracle happened. And, you know, the Apostle Paul on the second missionary journey in Acts chapter 16, he was with Silas and they were together. And he, he wanted to go south. He wanted to go south down into, south down into uh, Ephesus. And, but it says the Holy Spirit stopped him. The Holy Spirit forbade him. Now, later on, in the third missionary journey, he went to Ephesus and he stayed there, he stayed there, you know, uh, about three years, and, and, a, and a strong New Testament was raised up there. But in the time of the second missionary journey, that, that was not the will of God for him. And it said the Spirit of God stopped him. Now, we're not told how, maybe a, just a witness in the Spirit, maybe a prophetic word, maybe a vision, we're not told. But so he tried to go south, the Holy Spirit stopped him. Then he tried to go up to Bithynia. Bithynia was a province in the north, and, and then it said the Spirit suffered him not, or the Spirit did not permit him. So he, he tries to go south, and, and the, the Lord says no. He tries to go north, and the Holy Spirit for, stops him and forbids him. So what does he do? He didn't, he didn't just stay still. You know, he kept moving. He kept moving forward. And as he kept moving forward, then he came to Troas. And at Troas, there was the, the Aegean Sea. There was the, the ocean again. And so he got there. He went to bed that night. And then God gave a vision in the night. And it was a man in Macedonia. And the man was saying, come over and help us. Come over and help us. You know, he went, went forward, went forward. And, you know, God, you know, God came through for the children of Israel you know, in an amazing way. God came through for the Apostle Paul in a wonderful way. God wants to come through on our behalf. I remember one time before I was married, I was in Papua New Guinea, and, and I had an invitation to go to a village area, and uh, it was to, to you know, minister there. And so... I went to the airport, and I had, an, I had enough money for, for my ticket to, to get there, but not enough. And so I prayed about it, and I felt the Holy Spirit says, says go. So I got a, a guy who we were with to, to drive us out there, and, and he went out, and I purchased the ticket to get to this place. It was in Punu Village. It was just a very, it was like a, the airstrips were just, uh, you know, our grass airstrips. They weren't, you know, uh, uh, concreted or anything like that. And, uh, and, and so I, I had enough to get my airfare to go there, but not to return. But I, I felt to go to the airport. If I had stayed home because I didn't have enough, I would have seen no miracle. But I, I got to the airport, I got my ticket going there, and just as I, before I went into the security, the guy who drove me, he just said to me, the Lord has spoken to me to give this to you. He gave me an envelope, and in that envelope was the amount I needed to get my return trip back again. But, you know, I wouldn't have seen that miracle. I wouldn't have seen God answer that prayer if, you know, I just stayed at home and thought, well, I can't go because I don't have the, don't have the finance. 
So there's times when we are, you know, by the grace of God, when God speaks to, you know, move forward, to move forward. And in verse 19, verse 19, it says, And the angel of God, which went before the camp of Israel, removed and went behind them, and the pillar of the cloud went from before their face and stood before them. Verse 20, And it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. It was a cloud and darkness to them, but it gave light by night to these, so that the one came not near the other all the night. And so even though the Egyptians were very close, very close to the children of Israel, the pillar of cloud, which, moved, which often moved during the day and they would follow it when it did move, but that pillar of cloud came in between and the pillar of cloud turned into, a, the cloud turned into a pillar of fire in the nighttime, and it would give the children of Israel warmth. Sometimes the de- in the desert, those nights could be very cold. And, but anyway, so the cloud came in between, in between the Egyptians who were following and the children of Israel. And so the pillar of fire was there, it was night, and so it gave light, it gave light to the children of Israel, but the Egyptians who were following them they were in complete darkness. So, you know, God moved. God moved in, a, in an awesome way uh, in their, on their behalf. And even though the Egyptians were following them, the Lord caused a pillar of cloud, cloud to divide the camp of Israel from the camp of Egypt. And the Egyptian camp was in complete darkness, but the camp of the Israelites was in complete light, full of light. So, in a sense, God, God was controlling the enemy. And we must remember that God, God is the answer. The Lord is the answer. He's the master of every situation, the master of every situation. And so, in chapter 14 and verse 21, so, you know, Moses, he obeys. He obeys God. And he stretched out his hand over the sea. And the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night and made the sea dry ground and the waters were divided. And the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea upon the dry ground and the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and also on their left. That's an amazing miracle too. The waters were a wall to them on the right hand, and they were also a wall on the left. I mean, that is absolutely miraculous, miraculous. You know, God, God employed a strong east wind to divide the waters. But it's, it, the effects of that wind, they were completely supernatural, for it piled up the waters like a wall in two directions at once, to the north, into the south to such a depth that and, and the, that wall was so high and it had to be it had to be relatively high and and it, and it was to, to such a depth that they engulfed 600 Egyptian chariots and and all their the the horses as well and and then the army uh, you know when and then the waters were released by the hand of God so that was a you know incredible, incredible, 
critical, uh, an incredible miracle of the, the, you know, the Red Sea parting and them going over across on dry land. And this account of, of dividing the waters of the Red Sea, it is used as a picture of water baptism. And, you know, some people, some people say the children of Israel were, were, the reason that they were able to cross over the Red Sea was because the water was very shallow, it was very low. But if that was the case, it would have needed a far greater miracle than the dividing of the waters to drown the whole of the Egyptian army, including their horses and chariots, you know, in, in very shallow water. And then we read more about the account in, in verse 23, verses 23 uh, to 31. Now, the Egyptians pursued the children of Israel into the Red Sea, and the Lord, and when they, the Egyptians followed with their, with their chariots uh, and the horses, and as they pursued, the Lord caused the wheels of their chariots to fall off, and the Lord then caused the waters to return. And Pharaoh, his army, and all, all the horses, you know, were, 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 were destroyed. And, you know, it was just an incredible victory. So the, the spiritual meaning of crossing over the Red Sea is basically connected to, to water baptism. And even that was a very important step of, in the journey of Israel. I mean, they were no longer, in, once they'd crossed the Red Sea, they were no longer in Egypt. They'd come out of Egypt, they crossed over the Red Sea, and they were actually in the wilderness. And our journey, or our spiritual journey, begins in Egypt as we partake of the, the blood of the Lamb, as we experience uh, salvation, and forgiveness of our sins. And that's the, the feast of Passover. And then there's another feast which followed directly after that was, was called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And that speaks of continuing to, to feed upon the pure word of God. And then there's the crossing of the Red Sea, and that speaks to us of water baptism. And Jesus said, and it's interesting in, in the life of Jesus, I mean, he didn't do any miracles. He didn't cast out evil spirits. He didn't preach. He didn't teach until, you know, until after he was water baptized. And at the water baptism of Jesus, I mean, the whole Godhead was present. I mean, Jesus was there in the River Jordan. Then the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus in the form of a dove. And then the Heavenly Father, there was the voice of the Heavenly Father, and it boomed out. You know, this is my beloved son. In him I am well pleased. What a wonderful commendation, you know, for the Lord um, that Jesus received at his, at his water baptism at the beginning of his ministry. And we know the words of Jesus very clearly. You know, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And, of course, one of those commandments is, is water baptism. So when we get baptized in water and you know it's by immersion um, going under the water being raised up again out of the water when we get baptized you know in water 
it's a, it, it is a, it's, it's a very important step of obedience because we're obeying that great commission of Jesus, what Jesus told us to do. And he said, if you love me, you will obey me. You, you will keep my commandments. But not only is water baptism a step of obedience, water baptism also is an act of righteousness. It's an act of righteousness. And we see in Matthew 3 and verse 15, and it says, And Jesus answering said unto them, Permit it to be so now. Allow it to be so now. For thus it becomes us to fulfill all righteousness. To fulfill all righteousness. So at baptism, not only is it a step of obedience, but it's, it is fulfilling, it is fulfilling right, righteousness. Water baptism, it's an act of righteousness. And, you know, it's a major step in our Christian life. And, and it is an act of righteousness, not only a, a step of obedience. As we've already seen from Matthew 28 and, 20, and Matthew 28 and verse 19, it was, there was a command, baptism was not just a suggestion, but it was a command of the Lord. Go and preach the gospel, get people saved, and then to, to teach them to make disciples, and to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so we see that from the lips and the mouth of Jesus. And the Apostle Paul, when he is writing to the Corinthian believers, he, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and verses 1 and 2, it says, How that our fathers were under the cloud. They were under the cloud, and the cloud that they were under that's speaking there of the Holy Spirit, speaking of the, you know, the cloud would move, it would stop, it would, it would go on. And it's a, a picture of, of us being guided by the Holy Spirit. And so those who are under the cloud, it begins with the, you know, the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And it says, and they all passed through the sea, passing through the sea, referring to the Red Sea that they passed through. And Paul showing that that was a picture of water baptism and they were all baptized uh, unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea in the cloud and in the sea and you know there's many blessings of water baptism because only after passing through the Red Sea only after passing through the Red Sea were they finally out of Egypt which was a picture, Egypt, of, Egypt is a picture of the world. And so it was only when, they, when they'd crossed over the Red Sea, they were no longer in Egypt, they were, they were in the wilderness, and they were completely out of Egypt. But on the other side, before they crossed over, or before they were baptized in water, you know, they were, they were still in Egypt. And so... After passing through the Red Sea, they were finally out of Egypt and set free from the bondage of the taskmasters of Egypt. So we can see there that water baptism, water, water, it breaks certain bondages in our life. Now, it doesn't break every bondage, and that's, uh, the cross, that's why they needed to cross over the River Jordan, and that's another message. But... Water baptism, break, it does break many bondages in our life. 
you know, those taskmasters could not take them back and they were, they were not going to be slaves any longer, slaves in Egypt, because they were out of Egypt and, you know, bondages, certain bondages were broken in their lives. And God wants us. He, he's wanting to conform us bit by bit into the image and the likeness of Christ. And that doesn't happen overnight. It's a process. It's a process. It goes on, it goes on, it goes on. And, you know, where God puts his finger on different things. And God is, through it all, God is wanting to, to, to make us more and more like Christ. And he's wanting to set us free. And he's wanting to deliver us from everything that's not of him and every bondage in our lives. And sometimes those bondages are not from our own sins. I mean, sometimes they are because of our own sins. But in other cases, they can be hereditary things that have come down from the third and fourth generation and passed down to us. And we have weaknesses and bondages in certain areas of our life. Maybe in the area of, you know, anger or envy or pride or uncleanness and so on. So water baptism breaks. It breaks many bondages in our life. Now, also, the Red Sea, when the waters came back again, they, the Red Sea also destroyed their enemies who were trying to take them back to Egypt. And in the same way, water baptism can break the influence of those who seek to bring us back into the world. And there's always going to be those who want to pull us back, who want to pull us back. And that's why, um, you know, who we, our friends are very important. Because good friends, godly friends, you know, they will encourage us to go on for the Lord. But if you go to get friends who are worldly and full of worldly talk and unclean jokes and everything else, I mean, that's going to drag us away from the Lord. And so uh, we can see, you know, a breaking of influences at water baptism. And then, and then another blessing of water baptism is that at the Red Sea, Pharaoh's power over the Israelites was broken. And at water baptism, there's a certain breaking of Satan's power over our lives as well. And in the New Testament, you know, baptism was never by, was never by sprinkling. Uh, it was always by immersion. It was, you know, fully going under the water and then fully coming up out of the water, speaking of being cleansed, you know, in newness of life and raised up to live for the Lord and to live for righteousness. Colossians 2 and verse 12 tells us, and it says they're buried, buried with him in baptism, wherein also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who has raised him from the dead. So baptism is a burial. It's like, it's like a picture form of a burial to the old life and into a grave of water, like a burial into a grave of water and then a resurrection, a resurrection out of that grave cleansed and into a new life, lived unto God and lived unto righteousness. Lived unto God, lived unto righteousness. And that's what, so, so baptism basically it speaks of a, it speaks of a death, then it speaks of a burial, 
You only bury someone who's dead. And then it speaks of resurrection. So they go down under the, uh, under the water, speaking of the, a picture of the, the old life being, being buried, being buried you know, in the water, and then coming up out of the water, speaks of the new life, new life of, of righteousness and godliness lived unto the Lord. Lived unto God, lived unto, unto righteousness. You know, in my case, I was baptized by sprinkling when I was a little baby. My parents took us along to the, the, Anglic the Anglican Church in New Zealand. It's like the Episcopalian here. And I was sprinkled. But then, you know, after I came, came to the Lord, it was about two years after I came to the Lord, then I, you know, realized and read through Acts of the Apostles and other things that, that uh, baptism was always... Uh, it was always by immersion. It was always you know, going under the, under the water and then being raised again in newness of life. And so then, you know, I uh, obeyed the Lord. And a couple of years after I, I, got, I got saved at 18, it would have been about 20 or so, when I uh, was baptized in water by immersion. So really, water baptism is... It should always be by immersion because it's, it's pointing a certain picture of the old life dying and the new life rising. And it always uh, should be by immersion. And so, you know, those who are sprinkled as babies should be baptized the correct way um, uh, when they, you know, as they go on for the Lord. And, you know, it is a key. And I can remember when we were... My, my wife and I were first married and, and, and uh, we pioneered a church right in the very north of New Zealand. And, and some of the, the highlights of our stay there, I can remember some of the baptism services where, you know, the Lord was, for a period of time, we had a lot of difficulties and trials, but for a period of time there was, there was quite a move of the spirit. A number of young people and hippies, drug addicts and so on came to the Lord. And... We taught, we, 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 we taught them about baptism um, you know, straight away, straight away. And sometimes, you know, they get saved on one Sunday and then the, the next Sunday we would, we would uh, have a, have a bap baptism service. And we found that, that doing that really helped them to have power to get over their drugs and the, the, the alternative lifestyle that, you know, that, that, that they'd been living. And uh, so... Uh, you know, so, you know, some of the water baptisms we had, you know, people were just, you know, they came out of, some of them who were, who were, who were not baptized in the spirit, you know, they come out, up out of the water and just, were just absolutely lost in God and, 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 and glorifying God in other tongues. And, uh, you know, sometimes we just had to, you know, they were, just, they were just in another world. We had to sort of more or less drag them out of the water. And, uh, yeah, we, we had quite some, quite some times. But we saw some precious people who were baptized there. In fact, one testimony I shared before, but I'll repeat again. Uh, we, Marilyn and I, we were driving out to a place called Ahipara. We picked up this young man, hitchhiker. He was going, going surfing, and he was on drugs and living with a girl. And, and so we witnessed to him and then invited him to church. And you know, to our amazement, he turned up at church. And, 
you know, I, I preached, and that, that night he gave his heart to the heart to the Lord, and uh, and then the, the very next night, the, the very um, yeah, he gave his heart to the Lord, and and then we told him about water baptism, and so. Uh, the next week, we baptized him in water. And I think he was also filled with the Holy Spirit at the same time. And, uh, you know, he began to, and then he stopped. His, I mean, water baptism was just, you know, uh, many changes came. And he was willing to give up his, you know, living with a, his, his girlfriend. He gave that up. He stopped doing his drugs. And, uh, and uh, you know, his life was just, you know, on fire for the Lord. Later on, he went to, to, to Bible school, then he moved to another place in New Zealand for a time. Then he came back up to Kaitaia, and and now he is the he is the pastor of the church in Kaitaia now. And Marilyn and I, Marilyn and I visited up there, and I preached up there when we were last back in New Zealand. And uh, you know, so that was that was about 47 years ago, before my hair turned white. <laughs> But, but, I mean, water baptism, it, it, it gave the power to, to, to really, really go on. So it is, it's, a, it's, a, it's an important step in our Christian life. And, uh, you know, before water baptism, before people are water baptized, if we go by that analogy of the, the Red Sea, they're still in Egypt. But after water baptism, you're, you're out of Egypt, and water baptism severs God's people from Egypt. And, uh, you know, there's certain things that water baptism does, but it does not. It does not remove the love of the Egypt from their hearts. You know, they were out of Egypt, but, you know, Egypt was not out of them. And they had to go through various purgings during, the, during their wilderness journey, which they caused to go on for 40 years. But... There are many wonderful truths and precious truths. And it's a stepping stone. It's a stepping stone. If we're going to go on to spiritual Mount Zion, we must pass through the, the Red Sea, water baptism, and we also must come to Mount Sinai, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then we must also have trials and difficulties in the wilderness and learn to prove God in them. And, uh, and then God will bring us to the River Jordan and then he will bring us into the promised land. And even in the promised land, there were many battles in the promised land. And, you know, they came to Hebron and the many wonderful things about Hebron. But then under King David, and this is 443 years after, after Moses brought them out of Egypt. But under King David, when the anointing, you know, came upon him, the third anointing, he was anointed the third time in, in, uh, in Hebron. And then the first thing he did after he was anointed to be king over all of the nation of Israel, then he came to Mount Zion. And they captured Mount Zion from the enemy, from the Jebusites. And the Jebusites mean those who, those who, uh, uh, who cause division, those who cause division. So the thought there of God is wanting to bring us into a into a unity, into a, into a Holy Ghost oneness and unity. So we're all at different stages, you know, in our journey, in our Christian life. And I feel, you know, God is wanting to say to all of us, you know, don't be content with where you are, what stage you're at in your journey, but go on. You know, there is more. There is much more. There is much, much more. Heavenly Father, Lord, we 
Thank you, Lord Jesus, Lord, for your precious word. We thank you for the truths of your word. And Lord, we pray that you would, Lord, you would plant them in each of our hearts and lives. Lord, put into us, Lord, a desire, a strong desire, Lord, to know you in a deeper way, to have a closer relationship with you, Lord, to go forward, to move ahead, Lord, not to be, not to be apathetic, not to be half-hearted, not just to stay where we are, but, oh God, to, to move on into your plans for each of our lives. We thank you, Lord. You have a glorious plan, a good plan, a wonderful plan, an exciting plan for each one of us. And Lord, give us a heart that we would fulfill that plan you have for us. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for, for Esther. We thank you, Lord, for her step of obedience and baptism this morning. And Lord, we just pray for her that you would encourage her, that you would take her on, and she would grow in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and of your ways and of your word. Lord, cause your blessing to rest upon her. And Lord, for each one of us, oh God, in our journey, Lord, Lord, we pray, put that heart for you. Give us a heart for you, crying out for more of you. And Lord, we pray to see all these truths in each of our hearts. In Jesus' precious name, amen.